The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. You're watching Squawkbox with Karen Cho and Steve Sedgwick and these are your headlines. Chinese stocks recovering ground after Monday's falls, but the Nikkei drops after a 10-day break as the U.S. ratchets up its trade fight with China, accusing Beijing of backtracking on promises. Uh, The Dow recovers, though, from a plunge earlier on amid hopes for a U.S.-China trade deal after CNBC learns a team from Beijing will still travel to Washington this week despite President Trump's fresh tariff threat. Billionaire investor Warren Buffett tells CNBC the market reaction has been rational and warns a trade war would be bad for the whole world. There's times in negotiations when you talk tough. The one thing you can't do, though, is you can't, you can't shake your fist first and then shake your finger later on. I mean, that, it, that, that is not a technique that works well. The Aussie dollar jumps and stocks pair gains as Australia's central bank holds rates at 1.5% despite speculation it could ease policy. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Do you know, Karen, I'm very glad that that Mr. Trump has taken the news flow again and grabbed it by its throat and is in control of the agenda again as well, because I cannot take any more sycophancy from the UK press about a newborn baby. Don't you think that stole the headlines, though, from Trump? Quite the opposite. The one story. Trump saved me from... Uh, all the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the royal ophelia going on at the moment as well. This sycophancy ah. from people who are normally Republican uh, cooing over a little baby being born. What else do you do with a royal baby? You don't read the front pages for about a week <laughs> in my book. So I went straight to the world news, straight to business news, straight to trade news as well. Because great headline I did read from Carl Weinberg in his HFE uh, piece, Tactic or Tantrum. And that is the question that we're all asking as well. Let's take a look at what the US markets did. They were down significantly. Three out of four sessions, by the way, we've been down on the S&P and the Dow, four out of five on the Nasdaq. But we were down at one point, the best part of 500 points on the Dow. And we had a, a decent sized rally. In fact, we can look at the chart for the last seven days of the Dow. Uh, and that shows you there that move down 460 odd points from the previous close that we had. So this is Monday's session there. That's it in a nutshell. It just shows you uh, how the move was was taken at first. And then everyone's come on to one bit of detail of this as well. And that is, will Lee He travel to Washington? Will the vice premier, the man who's leading these trade talks, will he turn up in Washington or not? Will it be a tiny delegation, a medium size? Will the SOEs turn up or not from China? A lot of people asking these questions. The VIX indicator as well. Well, Okay, the VIX went up. The volatility indicators went up significantly. It went up to 18.8, which is the high we've seen this year, pretty much. Then settled down again. It's absolutely a complete reverse of the move you saw on the Dow. Yeah, so when we had the initial spike there, 
matching the initial dip on the S&P and the Dow, and then it abated later in session, but up 17.7% on the week. It means that not a lot of people are looking at the volatility indicator. A lot of people are selling calls into it, selling premium into, uh, into the rally because it gives them a little bit of extra income as well. But now you can see the VIX just settled down a little bit. But the Chinese markets and the Japanese... So you were going to say something about the VIX, were you? Oh, no, I was going to say about uh, your point about Lee Hearn. I think that is correct because yesterday, don't forget, when markets in Asia were trading, we had the China foreign ministry speaking and effectively saying, yes, a delegation would still go to Washington. But it was very late in the day and there was still no confirmation as to whether the vice premier would attend. So the market uh, later in the day, Wall Street time, did get more news flow on that front, uh, which trimmed some of the losses with indications that the vice premier will turn up. And don't forget, he only turns up when things are getting to the pointy end, the serious part of negotiations where there seems to be a show of good faith from the Americans. So that was taken as a sign of confidence that maybe we will get a trade deal after all. So an each-way bet now going on the markets. When it comes to the market reaction, yesterday the Shenzhen was the market to watch. We saw a sharp fall of about 7.3%. Today we're clawing back about 1.5%. Just a fraction of those losses yesterday. A slight pickup too for Chinese stocks. But we are limiting the damage and I think that is the good news where we've stopped the free fall on Chinese markets, Hong Kong trades high by about a tenth. Japan, you can see out of lockstep, but it was shut for the last 10 days. Very long holiday to celebrate the emperor. And you can see one and a half percent lower as it plays catch up today. So the market's taking stock uh, and I think very much in line with uh, that action that you saw concentrated in one intraday on Wall Street. The uh, trading span is just stretched over two days when it comes to these Chinese markets. And you can see the CSI 300 in the mix there. Uh, the stronger one too, up about eight tenths of a percent. Billionaire investor Warren Buffett told CNBC the market reaction to the escalation in trade tensions is expected. It's rational. And and then we'll see what happens next. But but obviously, if if you went to bed a week ago and you thought there was a one percent chance of a trade war, and then subsequent events makes you think there's a ten percent chance, markets reflect that very quickly. Uh, Mr. Buffett also warned of the negative impact of a trade war and what it could have on the market sentiment. It distorts things just thinking about it. You can imagine the distortion if you get into it, and the, you really can't predict the speed or the degree of effect because it spreads. Uh, you can't do something between U.S. and China in a big way without it affecting all the major markets as they go around. And, and uh, uh, you're starting a game that you don't know the ending of, but you know it isn't a good game. So why the tariffs? Why this sudden ratcheting up of pressure? Well, we're hearing more details, aren't we? The U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer expects the Chinese Vice Premier Li He to attend the trade talks in Washington this week. But Lighthizer has accused China of reneging on commitments made during negotiations and said there had been a, quote, erosion in Chinese promises. Uh, Lighthizer confirmed increased tariffs would come in on Friday, now the Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin described Beijing as moving away from agreed language, uh, vowing, quote, not to negotiate, to move backwards. Well, let's get to uh, Eunice in Beijing. Now, that's the American side of things. And Eunice, you've been keeping an eye on what the Chinese have been saying as well. And actually, they don't call it reneging, but they have actually agreed some parts of this that actually some of the agreed promises just couldn't be enacted at home. 
Yeah, well, that's right. You know, uh, yesterday I was speaking to a, a source who's close to the Chinese side of the negotiations and who who did say that uh, the Chinese looked at some of the uh, agreed to terms and felt that they were, in his words, hard to implement. So they had gone back to the Americans to try to reopen some of these discussions. And then, according to the source, the Americans weren't very happy about that. So there is um, a matching here in terms of uh, what the Americans are saying and the Chinese are saying at the same time of the Chinese perspective is that uh, this could just be part of the negotiations. It's not necessarily a reneging. Uh, That said, um, it's already affected the atmosphere around the discussions. Uh, The Americans uh, still said that they still plan to host a Chinese delegation this week in Washington uh, for the trade talks. However, Um, The um, ante has been raised by the latest development with the USTR's uh, Robert Lighthizer saying that the U.S. is going to activate its plan to uh, raise tariffs on uh, $200 billion worth of goods. So this is going to be a 10 percent tariff to 25 percent, and that's going to start on Friday. Again, the Americans were saying um, Lighthizer, as well as the Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, had said that uh, the Chinese were backtracking on some of the promises that they had made. And in fact, Lighthizer had described it as an erosion of commitments. Mnuchin said it was signaling a big change in the direction. And and uh, the uh, Lighthizer said that he does still expect that the Chinese vice premier will come for the meeting uh, sometime delayed Thursday or Friday for these discussions. Uh, the sources told CNBC, though, that the uh, delegation is going to be smaller than the original delegation. Uh, but the big question still is what all this means for an actual trade deal, because on the one hand, uh, we could see that the Chinese are still sending a delegation, which a lot of people think is a positive sign that maybe the Chinese are motivated because of the economic issues that they have back home, that they want to have this trade deal done and they see enough there to make a a deal possible. Um, They also could potentially uh, not want to be the one blamed in case this whole deal falls apart. So internationally, uh, they could market themselves as saying, look, we sent a delegation there, um, but then President Trump decided to raise the tariffs. And so now everybody's angry, but don't blame us. And so Uh, That's on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, the Chinese calculation would include what is happening back home. So they're going to be worried about the perception of Beijing appearing as though it's cowed by Washington. They definitely don't want that to happen. So uh, it's a a trade deal, even though, you know, we're four days away, uh, still very much a world away when it actually comes to closing that deal. Fabulous speaking to you today, Eunice. I'm afraid I haven't got time to carry on because we've got a CEO waiting in the wings. But so many big questions, but uh, you've laid it out fantastically for us there. Um, let us move on straight to ADECO. Uh, the group saying it's on track to deliver their target of uh, the 70 million uh, euros of productivity savings, first quarter revenues, though down 2% year on year. Good gross margin numbers, though, uh, up 19.1%, up 100 basis points year on year, supported by improving business mix and positive pricing development. So negative on the revenues, positive on the margin as well. But I'm delighted to say the man who can tell us all about the figures, Alan de Hayes, is the CEO of Adeco and joins us now. Alan, um, I just during my interview there with um, Eunice, I managed to get to page four of your results at the same time. And look, despite the fact that I think you are saying uh, growth trends in Europe stabilizing. I don't see that in your numbers. I've got to be honest, sir. I look year on year in the first quarter and I see weakness 
in uh, Iberia, uh, down 3% in revenues. I see weakness in Italy, down 4%. But more worryingly, Germany, Austria and Switzerland down 8%. And Benelux and the Nordics down 9%. You have a European problem, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, yes, like you were mentioning, we have delivered a, a strong performance in the first quarter. We have been able to improve our, our profitability margin by 20 basis points. By the way, that's the third positive uh, consecutive quarter we are delivering this. And uh, while we continue to invest in our transformation and in our digital ventures, um, now, regarding your point, uh, the, the revenues decline of 2%. We see that the growth trend in Europe stabilized during the, the Q1. We see that North America slowed a little bit, but that the rest of the world accelerated. Uh, you were mentioning some countries. Yes, we had uh, Europe in Q1 at minus 3%. So we, when we take all the, the, the European countries, but the minus 3% are to be compared to very tough comparables of last year. Last year, for the same quarter, we had a plus 8%. Uh, and the, the, it is now stable versus Q4. But again, growth in Japan and the rest of the world is good, plus 6%, which is offsetting a weaker North America in, in the quarter by, uh, by 3%. We continue to see that uh, there is soft economy, and you are mentioning that also uh, before me. Uh, still, we have many uh, challenges in, in many markets. Uh, but as I said, uh, stabilization in Europe, acceleration in Japan and the rest of the world, and a little bit weaker North America. Alan, I can totally see where the good bits are. And so uh, uh, apologies in advance for concentrating on the bits where I have, and perhaps our viewers will see a little bit more concern. Germany, what's going on there? You, you say that it was tough comparisons, but your revenue's gone backwards. Uh, Germany, Austria and Switzerland, 525 million now, 482, down 8% in euros as well. Is Germany, which was previously the great engine of Europe, is it suffering? Because I also notice in the individual um, sector lines, industrial revenues down 8% as well. Germany is indeed suffering, uh, not only for us, but uh, for many also of our colleagues. And this for three reasons. First of all, we have some uh, weak macro in Germany, also coming from the auto sector. So we know that the auto sector is, is slowing down because of uh, this emission policy, uh, and uh, we do 30% of our business, of our revenues in Germany in the auto sector. So this is a, a, a second point. And the third point, the, the German regulators changed the law regarding the temporary staffing, limiting or um, the, the period of, of temporary staffing to 18 months. So this has some consequence regarding the adjustment of the market. And this explains the, the weak figures we have on the German market, not only us, but, but also uh, our colleagues. I want to ask you about North America because there's some weakness in these numbers today and it does fly in the face of uh, strong payrolls numbers that crossed Friday. So what are you seeing and what is it signaling about the jobs market in the States? Uh, what we see is that the temporary staffing is uh, slightly positive and it, 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 it's solid. So we have a, a single digit positive growth in the temporary staffing. So it continues where we had some softness. It is in the IT sector and there we see a, a change in um, 
a structural change, more companies doing uh, offshoring. And in, in the meantime, we have also adapted our, our service offering, also, also off, uh, offering some offshoring uh, capabilities, but it, it takes time before we can offer this service. And this explains why we are a little bit softer in North America in the professional staffing. I want to ask you about uh, the economic climate because if you consider Bank of America, uh, one of the, the broker notes that's been put out to the marketplace as it looks at your sector, it's expecting a re-rating because of cyclical upside potential later part of this year. Now, some of this comes back to what type of environment we're dealing with and whether there could be a trade war. We saw an escalation in that trade war between the US and China yesterday with Donald Trump penciling in a time frame for more increases in tariffs. How concerned are you about that and the impact on the macroeconomic environment? It's uh, there are a lot of moving pieces, not only in in the U.S. with the, the trade war with China, but you you see also the political situation in Europe. So, but with the knowledge of today, you see our results. It's um, it's a slight revenue decline, so a softening, uh, mainly coming from from Europe for the first quarter, but also for the second quarter, the comparables are quite tough because last year we had very good results, very good growth, especially in Europe. And this comparable should soften in the second half of the year. So with the knowledge of the year, yes, with the knowledge of today, sorry, it, uh, it, should, um, it should improve in the second half. Always a pleasure speaking to you, sir. Thank you so much. And hopefully next time we'll get into some of the bigger trends that are going on as well uh, in global markets as well. But Alan, always good, sir. Thank you very much. Alan De Hayes, who is the CEO of ADECO. We have a couple of companies uh, from Europe to report in, actually. We, we referenced France and Germany there as well. Karen's going to start off with Alistair. Yeah, the company's saying it's uh, benefited from an exceptional com uh, commercial momentum this year, which uh, is not really what you expect when we've had some weak numbers coming through from the French market and some concern, too, about protests on the street, but uh, the industrial side uh, they're reporting a record level of order intake at 12 billion euros, including two major contracts with the renewal of the very high speed train fleet in France and the metro system project for Montreal. So very strong sales growth they reported, further margin enhancement, uh, they're saying confirms the success of the 2020 strategy. So the um, order intake uh, comes through at 12.1 billion. That has led to a new record-breaking backlog of 40.5 billion euros. And uh, when it comes to sales performance, that's at 8.1 billion euros, 10% firmer, adjusted EBIT margin of 7.1%. There are nuances in every industry about when they have a larger selling quarter. Or, you want to go back to something? Just, just on one thing, yeah. I just want to close out. They've hiked their dividend after the uh, four-year 2019 profit has risen. Okay. There are nuances. What I was going to basically say is uh, Henkel's just had a really horrible quarter right, okay. uh, in terms of sales. <laughs> but uh, there's a longer way of going it and a quicker way. Um, okay. The uh, organic sales growth, I'm pretty underwhelmed by, I think, actually. Um, first Quarter sales are up by 2.8%, but it's the organic figure, i.e. not buying in growth, that I think is interesting, up only 0.7 of 1%. Um, they have confirmed their organic sales growth of between 2 and 4% for, for 2019. But if your first quarter's up to, uh, is having a, a bit of an issue, i.e. only up 0.7, it makes it that much more pressure in quarters 2, 3, and 4. Uh, adjusted EPS is to fall by mid-single-digit percentage as well. That's um, one of their other targets as well. But 0.7 of 1% for the maker of the likes of Schwarzkopf, uh, Persil, I think they make Pritsticks as well, don't they? 
I certainly have. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I've got that confirmed from the gallery. Thank you very much indeed from our crafty gallery. Um, yeah, the adhesive business was hit, was hit by falling industrial production. Its beauty unit underperformed in Western Europe and China. Jeff not buying enough hairspray. Uh, but, but the point about the industrials, I think that really follows on from what we drilled into with Adeco because I think Alan was very honest. He said, look, you know, there was tough comparisons last year, but the auto sector really blighting Germany, really blighting industrials. Uh, and we're hearing the same story here out of corporate Germany from Henkel as well. Yeah, and just on, uh, you know, some of the products, there's a lot of competition coming into the mix when it comes to beauty these days. Lots of smaller name um, startups that have come to the market, some of them organic, which leans into different trends. So, you know, we talk Craft about food beauty trends. Products are these beauty calls? has trends too, would you believe? Yes, I would believe. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah, like, you know, sulfate-free is a thing these days. The what, free? Uh, sulfate-free, so certain, certain chemicals you don't want uh, in, mm. in beauty. I mean, mm. all these sort of trends are a little bit like, you know, vegan-free or, yes. or vegan and, yes. and free of gluten. And, Have you heard this flexitarian phrase? No. So you, you're not a vegetarian, you're not a meat eater, Are you a, a bit flexitarian. Of I quite like the idea of being it's a flexitarian. Yeah, it's a bit like being an omnivore, isn't it? Anyway, uh, coming up on this show, Chinese tech stocks sink amid renewed trade tensions. We're going to get the latest from Guangzhou coming up next. Plus, if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune into our very own podcast. You can head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our podcast listeners out there, stick around for some more. In the meantime, uh, we're going to take you to the opening calls to get you set up for the trading session. The FTSE playing catch-up today as it uh, joins the trading session after the bank holiday yesterday, chasing 16 points. But the rest of the markets are DAX, the CAC, all pointing lower. Renewed trade tensions have placed fresh pressure on Chinese tech stocks with e-commerce giant Alibaba and social media company Sina Weibo leading losses on the CNBC China Trade Index. That's ahead of another potential tech flashpoint, the extradition hearing of Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou in Canada tomorrow. Well, let's get out to Arjun, who joins us down the line from Guangzhou. Arjun, we have uh, potentially the ratcheting up of tensions on trade now between the US and China. How does tech and Huawei fit into the mix? Well, we know, of course, tech is such a key area of this dispute between China and the U.S. That's why Huawei's been dragged in, this supremacy, this race towards being the dominant player in 5G uh, technology. And that's why you've seen a lot of the tech stocks actually both in the U.S. and in China get hit. If we look at some of the U.S. firms that took a hit, look at the likes of Apple, which has a huge exposure to China, of course, a very key market for the company, not just from selling iPhones, though, but also from the supply chain front, a lot of key Suppliers for Apple are based in China. Qualcomm, another company uh, whose shares fell uh, as a result of that ratcheted up in tensions because they supply a lot of their um, key technology, their chipsets to the smartphone makers in China. And over in China, you got some of um, the other names which saw sell-offs, the likes of Alibaba, because, of course, that's a company that relies very heavily on imports and exports, and they're, a, they're very sensitive to this uh, trade war story. But overall, what's interesting is that many of these Chinese firms don't actually have a huge amount of exposure to the U.S. market. The likes of Tencent, for example, very much a player in China and other parts of Asia. But they get caught up in this huge sell-off and negative sentiment towards Chinese names. And that's why we actually saw the BATS, Baidu, Alibaba and Tencent see big drops in share price last year, but saw rebounds at the start of this year. And that's because they do continue to grow. Um, but there are these political and macro headwinds that are facing them right now. 
I do not want to ask you about the pace of investment in China because there was a report across today that Sequoia Capital China, which is seen as somewhat of a bellwether for tech investment in China, is set to lay off as much as 20% of its investment staff. Now, other reports out there also suggest that uh, the pace of investment in technology might be waning in China, whether that's due to a trade war or not. What are you seeing? Yeah, you're right, Karen. There are some uh, concerns over um, the trade war and actually some people holding back on investments, not just the VC funds, but actually you've seen that from some of the more prolific investors, uh, which are actually the technology companies here, the likes of Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. Those those are huge investors, and even they have been holding back somewhat. It's not just to do with the trade war, of course. It is actually in large part to do with some of the valuations that these Chinese technology companies are, are commanding, these private companies. You're seeing the likes of uh, ByteDance, for example, which is the owner of the very popular social media app TikTok, uh, garnering huge valuations and financial, of course, and another one with a $100 billion plus valuation. So there are concerns about the heat in the Chinese technology market. And actually what you've seen is that translate into the public markets. When Xiaomi went public, it didn't get the valuation that it saw in the, in the private markets. And that's a big concern here because there is this pent-up demand for Chinese tech stocks. A lot of companies wanting to go public now, but some of the valuations are so high and there's concerns about how those might uh, perform in the, in the public markets. And that's why I think as well you've seen some of the, the uh, con- cautiousness from the investors in Chinese tech. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.